So let's, uh, let's look at John 20, verses 24 to 29. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, man, we have a wonderful passage, and I already know that several or a couple of people have said that this is their favorite passage. you know, in the Bible, it's so encouraging. And uh, today we are going to focus on talking about walking by faith and not by sight. Um, as humans, you know, we, we trust our, our, not only our instincts, but we also trust our senses. Right? We, we use our senses to, to perceive the world around us or to understand the world around us. And um, one sense that we trust above all others, if we have this sense, is the sense of sight. Right? We rely on the sense of sight for so much. Not that if we didn't have the sense of smell, you know, that, I mean, obviously that would be a great hindrance towards us in the way we interact in our everyday life, but uh, the sense of sight is, is, is extremely important, especially if you've always had it. Um, seeing is believing for so many people. And I think Christians really struggle with this too because it's like, you know, we're so used to proof. I know as brothers and Sisters, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, my family, my own personal family. If I would go when we were younger and I tell my brother I saw this and it's this unbelievable, amazing story. What is he going to tell me? No way. Show me proof. Right. Somehow, some way you got to you got to prove it. You go tell your friends something that you've seen something, witness something. That's the first thing to ask for. Prove it. You know, so I think we struggle with that, that whenever we see something amazing from God, and we try to share that with others, others want proof. Why? Because we've accepted the world's philosophy of seeing as believing. We want to be able to see it so that we can perceive it, understand it, and then we can believe it. But let me ask you this, is that how faith works? Right? That's, we don't have that privilege when it comes to faith. And that's something that we have to Understand, and that's something that's easy to uh, forget, and we have to make sure that we are remembering that faith is not necessarily not necessarily seeing and uh, believing, but faith hopes for what is there, what has been promised, uh, and that's that's the way God works. He flips it around, and He says, "Blessed are those who believe without seeing." That's what he says. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. That makes us uncomfortable. That makes us uncomfortable, especially like, you know, in life, life is full of ups and downs. We're going through different things. And when we are in the valleys, we want to see what God has in store for us on the mountaintops. We don't get that advantage. What we are told in his word is that we trust him. He has never failed us. He has never forsaken us. He'll never leave us. He is our shepherd. These are the things that we are told to trust in faith. But we ourselves, we want to see what God has in store. But God says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. What this is speaking to of is that it's teaching us that faith is greater than sight. Faith is greater than sight. 
And that's something that we have to remember. Hebrews 1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I love that passage. It explains what faith is, and sometimes we, we, we either we never knew the, understand, the definition of faith or we've forgotten it. But look what it says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It didn't say it's the assurance of things that you've seen. Hoped for. We talked about hope a couple weeks ago. We talked about how even though we live in despair, we can always have hope. And how hope is, 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 is greater than despair. But what is our natural inclination? What do we do whenever we're in despair? Despair is defined as the lack of faith. Well, we lose faith because we're so busy looking at what's in front of us. We're so busy focused on what we're going through. We're so busy looking at and feeling sorry for ourselves in the valley. And we forget the promises that God has made to us. That no matter how it turns out, it's going to be okay because God is with us. Now, that's not a promise that everything is going to work out just as we hope for. But it's going to work out according to God's will, and that's the best thing we can ever hope for. But hope is greater than seeing, and faith is greater than seeing. So it's the faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. See, faith is believing in it before it's actually fully realized. In this chapter, um, or actually in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, as it continues to talk about people who have had faith, it's a wonderful chapter because we call it the Hall of Faith, and it's a list of people who throughout the Old Testament uh, believe God at his word. Believed God at his word and trusted in what he was, not only what he was telling them, but what he was doing through their lives. And what's awesome about it is it, the author, who, who we believe is the Apostle Paul, points this out in verse 13. Talking about all these Old Testament people who believe God at his word. He says, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. See, that's what faith is. Faith is not necessarily seeing the things that are promised, but looking at God's word, greeting them and trusting God that he will do what he said he will do. I think of Brother Santiago because he's, the last brother from our congregation who has passed. And, I, you know, whenever we are there at the end of our lives, I have no doubt that we're going to think about the promises of God. I have no doubt that we're going to think about the hope that God has placed in our hearts. And we're going to believe from afar that when we leave this body, when we leave this body, we're going to be present with the Lord. Because that's what faith does. It believes in something it cannot see. And obviously, when we're suffering on our deathbed, we're not going to be able to see heaven. We're going to have to believe from afar. It's no different in how we live our everyday lives. Whatever struggle we have now, we believe God because he has said in his word that he will take care of us and as I said before, he'll never forsake us or leave us. So it is completely necessary for the Christian to walk by faith and not by sight. And today I want to I talk to you about what that means. And I want to use Thomas as our example. And listen, I'm not going to be too hard on Thomas today. Because usually when I hear this sermon preached, it's like, it's just like dogging Thomas, you know. But you, you and I, well, I've already found out because I've prepared for, for this sermon. But what you're going to find out today is that we're not too different than Thomas. We're not different at all. One time I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine and he asked a question. He said, man, who's your favorite author in, in, in the Bible? Who do you relate to the most? And I was like, it was easy. I came out. I said, I'm, I'm John. <laughs> 
I'm John. You know, I relate to John the most. Not that I am John, but I relate to John the most. I love his writing. Love his writing. I, I, you know, it, that's the books. Those are the books that I go back to. And I just love them. And he, he did this to me. He's like, really, John? I'm like, yeah. I was expecting him to say Peter or Elijah or something. He goes, man. He said, I'm Thomas. And I was like, wait a second. You set me up, man. I'm over here telling you that I'm John, and you're, you're going to come to me and tell me you're Thomas? He's like, yeah, I'm Thomas. I'm always struggling with doubt. I'm like, no, let's repick. I want to pick Thomas. But Thomas is going to be our example today to see how all of us struggle with unbelief, but how we should, we should be believing, and how we should exercise faith more and not rely so much on these two things that are here in the middle of our face. Because sometimes our eyes are deceiving. But the faith that God has given us, if it's the Holy Spirit leading us, he'll never deceive us. So as we look at verses 24 and 25, right away we see Thomas's unbelief. Now we know from verse 25 that Thomas, he wasn't there when Jesus originally appeared to the disciples. And the funny thing is, is that we don't know where he was. He was missing. We understand why Judas wasn't there. Judas had betrayed the Lord and he had already committed suicide. It it recorded that in the Gospels. But now, as far as Thomas is concerned, we don't know if he was sick or if maybe he was still. We talked about how all the disciples deserted Jesus. Maybe he was still afraid and he wasn't meeting with the disciples at the time. Problem is, is that we don't know. We don't know why he was gone and we, we can't be sure. But you know what? There's an important lesson there. Don't miss church. Right? That's the first thing I think of. Don't miss church. He missed the first church service and he missed Jesus. So that's an important lesson to us. Do not ever miss church. Make sure you're there. But the other disciples, well, they try to catch Thomas up and try to tell him and describe to him what happened when he was out. And he wasn't having any of it. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. He says, well, they have said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and actually place my finger into the, into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Now, when we look at verse 25, I think it's an, a, it's an exaggeration on Thomas's part. He really didn't mean that he wanted to put his fingers in the marks of his hand and his hand in the marks of and the holes in his, in his side. He really didn't want to, but he's exaggerating. He's being dramatic because he doesn't believe the disciples. And then when you look at the end of verse 25, he speaks in an absolute or with an absolute. What does he say? I will never, I will never believe. You know what? Absolutes, I I don't like them. You know why I don't like them? Because I've said them too much and I've been wrong. When I grow up, I'll never do that. When I'm a parent, I'll never do that. Right? When I'm a pastor, I'll never do that. Every time I've been humbled by an absolute. We all do it. I will always do this. I will never do that. You will never catch me doing this. Well, Proverbs 16, 9 says that in his heart man plans his ways, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. And so when we use absolutes, we can be sure that we're going to be absolutely wrong. And we're going to be humbled by it. And that's exactly what happened to Thomas here. Thomas says, I will never believe. But obviously, if you keep on reading, he believed. He believed, and it's a a wonderful thing. 
See, but Thomas is known by the nickname Doubting Thomas, right? That, we all know that. As soon as Thomas is mentioned, oh, he's the one who doubted. He's the one who had the lack of faith. And it's almost as if the other disciples were good and Thomas is the only one who struggled with this. But see, the disciples were just like Thomas. The other disciples reacted the same way when they were told that Jesus had risen from the grave. Now, if you don't believe me, let's turn to scripture. Mark chapter 16. Keep your place here in John chapter 20 and turn with me to Mark chapter 16. I want to read for you from verse 9 through 14. Now, this is the story of Jesus rising from uh, the grave and appearing to the disciples. So verse 9 says, Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him. And as they mourned and wept, or excuse me, as they mourned and wept, Look at verse 11. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. All right, let's continue on. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Now we can go back to John chapter 20. See, we are too hard on Thomas. And I can see why. We don't like to see ourselves as people who lack faith. We like to see ourselves as people who believe, who are, are, are committed to the Lord. But honestly, we lose faith pretty quickly. And it's proof because it wasn't only Thomas who struggled with this. It was the other disciples as well. So the question is, how are we the same as doubting Thomas? Well, we're the same in that we are short-sighted just as Thomas was. We believe what we can see and perceive with our minds. Everybody battles with that. We believe what we can understand. And that's what we're trying to do all the time. We're trying to gain understanding of the world around us and and the things that happen to us. But see, the things of God, they can't be perceived by the human mind. That's why it requires faith. That's why people who are extremely bright have the hardest time accepting the word of God. Not that those who aren't don't have the hardest time. Or I'm not saying that everyone in here is not bright because you accept the word of God. But we look at people who are extremely bright as extremely gifted. They have logic, but they have no heart to believe the word of God. And then we can look at the most heartfelt person and they read the word of God and they don't understand it. Why? Because they don't have the logic. It takes both working together, guided by the Holy Spirit in order to truly understand. But notice I said something guided by the Holy Spirit. The heart, the heart, the head. We can't understand God without the help of the Holy Spirit. No matter how uh, how heartfelt we are or no matter how brilliant we are it takes guidance from the holy spirit to help us to believe so we are short-sighted just as thomas was we rely on what we can see so that we can perceive it with our minds we also struggle with following our flesh over the spirit see our natural inclination is to walk by sight over faith But 2 Corinthians 5-7 tells us differently that we need to walk by faith, not by sight. We struggle with not only following our flesh, but we struggle with pride too because many times we don't 
Either for one reason or another, we don't want to go to God for help. We think we can take care of our problems ourselves, and then we end up going to God whenever our problems are too big. If we thought that God could help us in everything, then we would follow what Paul tells us to do, pray without ceasing. But sometimes we don't do that, right? Whenever something is going on, we go straight into action trying to take care of it. Instead of relying on God to give us wisdom and power and encouragement and everything we need to take care of the issue. You see, I can go on and on and list different ways that we are like Thomas. We struggle with unbelief. But the Christian is called to believe instead of disbelieve. When we look at unbelief, unbelief is a lack of faith. It's a lot like despair. Except for despair, you're just finally tired of everything and and you're just wiped out by unbelief. Basically, when we have despair, it's because we've lost the battle to unbelief. And and there's, there's, there's no more hope. But you see, we have to understand that we don't we don't automatically we don't just go automatically to being despair. It starts with unbelief, 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 and then it blows up into despair. So the, the trick is not to really pour yourself into God's word, really, really begin to pray, really begin to attend church, really, uh, uh, you know, really start your Christian life when you're in despair. The battle is with unbelief. The battle is our hard-headedness wanting to see things in order to believe them. The battle is trusting God at his word. That is truly the battle. That's where the issue is for all of us. When you look at Thomas, that's what the issue was. Why? Because the Lord had already told Thomas And the rest of them. What was going to happen. And they failed to trust him at his word. That's us. That's me. That's you. I see a lot of heads going like this and I'm glad. I see some heads not moving at all. I hope inside you're going like this. Listen, we need... We need the help of the Lord every single day to believe. That's why it blows my mind that people think that there is salvation outside of the Lord. That's why it blows my mind that people think that there is security outside of the Lord. He saves us. He seals us. He delivers us. If it were left up to us, people who unbelieve all the time, we would be in trouble. It also blows my mind how many times the Lord forgives us for our sin when we do not believe. See, unbelief is the absence or the lack of faith. What we understand about faith is that faith is a gift that we receive from God. But faith, it can be quenched. Or another word for it, a biblical word for it, is that we can shrink back in faith. We can shrink back in faith. See, there are those who are numbered, who are numbered amongst God's elect, who are God's children, who who are away from God in a sense right now. Who are not in the word, who do not pray to God, who are not in church. Listen to me very carefully. God will not let them go. But this is their time of discipline. This is their time to learn. This is their time to grow. And eventually it's going to be their time to come back to the Lord on their hands and knees praying for forgiveness. But we can shrink back. We can get our priorities all wrong. 
We can create idols in our lives. Where we start worshiping those things instead of the Lord. But the Lord brings that to our attention. He brings us to conviction. And we realize how much we've, how much we've, we've, we've fallen back. See, this is the, the reality of what we go through. That's why when we talk about our faith, we, we don't take it for granted that we are, have already arrived. Because Paul says the, the important thing is, is the finish line. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. That's what he says, right? He didn't say, I started the race good. He didn't say that. He didn't say, man, I had one good right hook. He didn't say that either. Everything he lists out, it's something that he has completed. Why? Because he's about to go to the Lord. He understands that. And for us, we need to understand it's about finishing. We cannot finish without faith. We need faith to cross that finish line. See, we lose faith when we take our eyes off of Christ. Unbelief is a lack of trust in God's sovereignty. That's all it is. People take the eyes off of Christ. They focus on their problems. They're focused on, on, on whatever it is. They're idols. They think that God doesn't care about them. They think what's to use. But when we begin to not trust God in his sovereignty, that's when the trouble starts. See, Thomas didn't believe that Christ defeated death. Why? Because for man, that's impossible. It, it makes sense that Thomas would think that. I, I told you, they, they struggled with the fact that they didn't really fully understand that Christ was the Son of God. They thought he was a human ruler and that the, the kingdom that he was going to establish was going to be here on earth. So every time Jesus talk, talked about taking over, they thought, great, we're going to follow you because you're going to take over the Roman government. Israel is going to be Israel again of the Old Testament And we're going to rule with you. Boom, Jesus dies. Boom, they all spread. Then Jesus appears, and they're all just not believing. Thomas, he appears before Thomas. He sees Jesus. He's like, this can't be. Right? Or he heard that they saw Jesus. No, this can't be. For man, that's impossible. But what do we learn? For God, nothing is impossible. Let me ask you a question today. How are you not trusting in God? Don't avoid that question. I can't avoid that question and you can't avoid that question. Because there's something in your life that you're not trusting God in. There's something in your life that's that's attacking your faith. There's something in your life that's causing you to shrink back or can cause you to shrink back. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't get lazy. Don't lose sight that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We're warned that in Scripture. What are you not trusting in God today? There's something. But we see in Scripture that Jesus shows himself to Thomas. Look at verses 26 and 27. Eight days later, Jesus appears to the disciples and Thomas. Now, what we have to understand is that for us, this is actually seven days later. And this is really interesting. Uh, The Jews, whenever they counted, it was called inclusive counting. So they counted the day that they were on as day one. Right? So eight days later from our last passage, well, our last passage, 
that we discussed. It was the, the first church service after Jesus had risen. It was a Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My wife says I count weird. Did you notice how I started? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Does anybody else start with their pinky? I've always done it that way. Now I have everybody doing that, but I've always done it that way. One, two, three, four, five. It, it goes in sequential order. It makes sense. But eight days later is Sunday. So what we're seeing here is, is Sunday again. So the first Sunday Thomas missed, the first church service he missed, this is already the next Sunday. So now what we see for this Sunday is that Thomas is in church where he's supposed to be. And Jesus didn't disappoint. And we see that the scene is really similar to last week. They were behind a locked door and Jesus came in, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 26. He had done that to the other disciples when he first appeared to them. Next, Jesus comforts Thomas. Thomas is, he's, he's focused on Thomas this week. When he, when he appeared before, he spoke to the others, the other ten. Well, this is speaking to Thomas because he wasn't there. Now, I want you to notice something. Verse 27, that Jesus had already known what Thomas had said about his wounds. Let me, re, let me read that for you just so that you can see that again. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas had said this to the disciples, not to Jesus. Jesus shows up. He already knows what Thomas said before. Why? Because God knows our hearts. There's nothing that we can hide. There's no sin that we can hide from the Lord. So the Lord shows up, he encourages them by saying, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas and he confronts Thomas. And I can't imagine what Thomas felt like whenever he saw the Lord. Now, the purpose of Jesus doing this to Thomas to tell him, hey, put your hand here in, my, in, in the marks of my hands or put your fingers in the marks of my hands. Put your hand in my side. The purpose of him doing that was was to prove to Thomas, like he had with the others, that he was back from the grave. So Jesus gave Thomas the opportunity to touch his wounds. You know, when I said that Thomas really didn't mean it, when he had said it before, this is proof. Does Thomas do what Jesus says? No, he doesn't need to. Imagine if you're Thomas, you see the Lord crucified. Maybe you participate in the burial. You know he's dead. Three days later, you see him, or actually, he wasn't there for the third day, for the, the first resurrection, but here, now, ten days later, you see him. You see him. You don't need that proof anymore. Thomas's response to Jesus is a, a beautiful response. It's, it's a pure response responds whenever he sees Jesus, my Lord and my God. See, when Jesus, when Jesus showed himself to Thomas, it overwhelmed him. It reminds me of one night back in 1996. Yeah, that's when I gave, that's when I, I came to Saving Faith. 1996. Man, it seems like yesterday, but so long ago. I think of that night and how overwhelmed I was. I use that word because that's the only thing that I could think of in looking back whenever I saw the Lord with my spiritual eyes for the first time. Overwhelming. Now Thomas is seeing the Lord with his physical eyes and it overwhelms him. See, the same thing happens to us when we see Jesus with our spiritual eyes. Then verse 28, Thomas believes See, Jesus' presence resulted in Thomas' immediate faith. He saw and then he believed, Scripture says. He saw Jesus and then automatically he says, my Lord and my God. Now, when I look at that, I see that Thomas' experience exemplifies what happens to the Christian 
when he or she comes to saving faith. In other words, this happens to the Christian when he or she sees Jesus for the first time with their spiritual eyes. As I said before, Jesus saw, or Thomas saw Jesus, and he was overwhelmed by his glory. Thomas responded in immediate faith. Thomas believed with his heart, and he confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord. And it's similar, it reminds me to Peter's confession. When Peter told Jesus, you are the Son of God, right? You are the Christ, the Son of God. But what did Jesus tell Peter? He said, blessed are you, Peter. For you didn't think of this yourself, but it was God who revealed it to you. See, when Jesus shows himself to Thomas, there is no better option than Christ. And no better option than faith in Christ. And just like the father revealed that to Peter, and just like the father revealed that to Thomas, you know how that passage goes when Christ says, no one comes to me unless the father draws him in? This is exactly what is happening here. We see these wonderful proclamation of faith from both of these men, Peter and Thomas, at different times. It was given to them by the father. So when we see Christ, when we fully see him, when we see him, or I shouldn't say fully, when we truly see him in, 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 with our spiritual eyes, when we see him as savior, we are only seeing him because that is what the father has revealed to us, that we are sinners in need of a savior. See, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about because that hasn't been fully revealed. In America, we have like this McDonald's kind of thing going on. This fast food thing kind of going on. Or we say, accept the Lord in your hearts and you're going you're, you're gonna to be fine. Just come up here and repeat this prayer after me and you're going to be fine. And so many people do that. And we're like, man, we're making disciples. But yet there's no change. There's no repentance. There's no faith. And now we're struggling with the church looking the way the church looks. That's not the real church. We have to be very careful. We have to be careful with what we say and how we present the Lord to our children to those who we witness to, those who we share the gospel with. It's the Father who draws us in when we see Jesus for who he is and we make that proclamation of faith, my Lord and my God. So if you are in Christ today, it's because Christ has shown himself to you and the father has given you that ability to see. It's a beautiful thing. Ephesians chapter two tells us everything we need to know about this. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's simple to me. I love when Thomas, is believe, when Thomas believes and you see his, in his reaction. But our story doesn't end there. Because Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, oh, you believe because you see me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Verse 29. See, there are many who are waiting for the physical appearance of a savior so that they can believe. There are religions who are based on this. They're waiting for their savior. 
They're false religions. And I can, I can say that with assurance because unless your faith is in Christ, it can't be a true religion. And I know that that's not very friendly in today's society. But man, we're supposed to share the gospel. There are people who are lost who need to know that there's only faith in Christ. There's only salvation in Christ. It's not unfriendly. It's loving to tell people that outside of Christ, you're lost. But there are many who are waiting for the physical appearance of a Savior so that they can have something to believe in. There are also those who are waiting for a sign from God to believe what he's already told you in his word. There are some people who don't do anything unless there is a sign. Or unless they hear from God. Only problem is, is that when Jesus comes again, only problem with those two things are when Jesus comes again, number one, when he physically appears on this earth, it will be to judge the nations. In other words, it's going to be too late to believe in him then. Because the Bible says every eye will see him coming in the clouds. No one's going to miss it. So we're physically going to see Jesus again. But if we're waiting to see him to in, in order to believe in him, it's going to be too late. Why? Because God has given us everything we need in this life for both life and godliness. So that's the problem with that. The other problem is Christ says don't depend on signs because he's not going to give them to this adulterous generation. This is the greatest sign you can ever have. This is why we don't believe in signs. God has given us his word. And God does not lie. And he does not change. That means he does not change his mind about what he has said to us in his word. We don't need signs. We just need to trust. See, Christ says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Thomas had the advantage of physically seeing the risen Christ so that he could believe. We don't have that advantage. But you know what? We have a different one. We don't lack. See, we, what, what we tend to do, and, and I, I do this sometimes, is I look at, at the disciples and I said, man, I bet you it was so easy for them to believe they had Christ with them. But when we look at scripture, is it truly, was it truly easy for them to believe? No. Time after time after time, they disbelieved. See, we have a different advantage. Yeah, we don't see Christ physically. But you've heard me use the phrase, seeing him with our spiritual eyes. That means the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us. So in essence, we see Christ, but we see him through the lenses of faith. We see him through the lenses of faith. And listen, that is more than enough for us. Because we have been equipped with the Holy Spirit to believe what we come to know through faith. When Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing, he was speaking of believers. He was speaking of us. So in actuality, Jesus here is talking about the church. He's talking about those who would come to faith after his ascension. He's speaking about how we are blessed. When we see the word blessed, it not only means happy, but it also means accepted by God. So we are both happy and we are accepted by God because we believe by faith. That Christ is the risen Lord. That Christ is, 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 is seated with God on high. He's interceding on our behalf. And that Christ will return. We are blessed. Is anybody awake? Can I get an amen or something? Is it just me who's excited about this? Well, maybe so because I've prepared it. 
But listen, we, we, need, we don't need to go through the motions. To me, this is important. I need you to listen because you're going to leave this place and then all of a sudden, disbelief is going to come upon you. There are so many people who are going through the same cycle over and over and over and over again. Aren't you tired of it? God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Aren't we tired of playing games with God? I don't mean to come at you like this or to look like I'm getting after you at all, but how many times do we have to disbelieve before we realize that it doesn't have to be this way? How many times do we have to shrink back in fear before we realize it doesn't have to be this way? I can tell you that whenever I was going through my sickness and I was first in the hospital, that's the first thing that happened to me. Disbelief, shrinking back in fear, forgetting that God is sovereign, forgetting that he rules his creation, including me, through his providence. Not trusting in him. I had to deal with all of that in the very beginning. And it was so humbling. Because every week I come before you and I preach and I tell you, this is what you ought to do. And here I was, struggling, struggling, struggling. That's why I remind you every week, I'm no different than you. In fact, I'm probably worse than you. I'll admit that every single time. I have no problem saying I'm worse than you. God revealed ugly sin in my life when I lay there on the hospital bed trying to breathe. All these ivory towers that I had built up in my life, they came crashing down. And guess what? That wasn't the first time God had done that. What does the Bible say about those who are in sin? God will discipline those whom he loves. Now, is that the last time that I'm going to deal with disbelief? No. I'm like you. I want to stop playing games with God. I want to believe. I feel like I'm, I'm the father of, 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 the, of the son that Jesus healed. And Jesus said, go and do this. And if you do this, it's gonna, everything's going to be okay. And he says, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. I feel like I'm like that almost all the time. Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. what Jesus says here blessed are those who believe without seeing they are happy they are accepted by God blessed are you who believe after hearing the gospel blessed are you who believe what God has said in his word blessed are you who believe that no matter how bad it gets you continue to trust in God it makes sense you're happy and you're accepted by God if you do these things. Obviously, if we don't do these things, we need to run to Christ. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to repent. We don't need to quit. See, the faith and love and hope that you have were gifted to you through Christ and by the Father. The faith that you have is enough to get you through this this life that you have. I don't care how difficult it is for you. You have enough faith because it is Christ who is continually speaking, praying on your behalf that you finish the race well. That you keep the faith. It is Christ who is doing that for us. Now, I do want to say this before I end this sermon because this is extremely important. When you talk about faith and you talk about 
Walking by faith and not by sight, that gets distorted horribly in this world. By many, it gets distorted by many. Because what, God, what people tend to do when they hear you should walk by faith and not by sight, they start to hold God accountable for promises and things that he has not promised. They start to hold God accountable for things that are not in his word. And that's where we have issues with the prosperity gospel. If you just believe it, you hold God accountable. If you name it and you claim it. And you tell God, this is what needs to be done. He's going to do it. No. That's not what I'm talking about today. That's a perverted message and a perverted version of God's word. All I'm telling you is that God has spoken in his word. He has given us promises through his word. God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us to believe, to walk in the spirit and not by the flesh. I'm telling you, we have enough for life and godliness. And I'm telling you, with all of that. Believe. And in Jesus' words, don't disbelieve. Now, as you hear this message, as you think about it, deal with the emotions that you have. If you're angry, good. If you're happy, good. If you're convicted, good. I'm glad for all those. But as you leave this place, rely, continue to rely on the faith you have over your physical sight. Over what you can perceive with your mind. Listen, what we go through, it gives us wisdom. And we all need wisdom. We learn valuable lessons through what we go through. I'm not telling you to wipe that away from your mind. That's sanctification that God has caused in you. Use that wisdom. Combine it with that faith. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's the whole purpose of sanctification. We get what we learn through what we experience. We see it through faith and we praise God and we serve God through that. So rely on your faith over physical sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. Be guided by the spirit, not by the flesh. These are the things that are important. This is what Jesus is speaking about. This is the lesson that Thomas learned. Not only Thomas, but the other disciples as well. I pray it was a blessing to you. As the praise and worship team comes up and plays this final song, we're going to have our time of prayer. You can pray at your seats. You can come up here and pray if you want that. It's up to you. If you're comfortable praying with somebody else, you can do that. I understand because of, of, of COVID, not everybody's comfortable with that. But this is your opportunity to pray as this song plays out and then I'll come back up here and, and finish the service.